sin pari, or without equal. This is the motto of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command, or USASOC. This is the 100th episode of the Global Recon Podcast. For this episode, I had former Special Missions Unit Operator Dave on the podcast. Dave started his career in the 75th Ranger Regiment, had a break in service, then he rejoined the Army, made it into a Special Missions Unit where he served as a dog handler, an assaulter, and a sniper. Dave was featured in a brand new documentary just released on HBO called War Dogs. War Dogs was executive produced by actor Channing Tatum, and it's showing the story of three dog handlers and their canines in combat and post-military. It's an incredible documentary. It's very honest. Nothing is sugar-coated, and it gives you a, a clear picture and understanding of what these men and their dog counterparts go through. We discussed several things, including Dave's career, his only dog that he handled several deployments into Iraq, and Dave shared some stories of his dog, Pepper, and we talked about mindset and several other things. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you do, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you're using your mobile device, and that way we can get some honest and good feedback from you guys. Hope you enjoy this. Thank you. documentary uh it's about an hour long really kind of hits you in the gut um 
it, it's not like one of those documentaries where they are kind of making everything seem like you know everyone's a winner it's you know kind of sweet it's like a real kind of tough look at what it's like as a, a dog handler and a dog working in a special operations role um now i know here in the states uh a lot of the dogs that are used in these special operations units, they come from Europe. And uh, over in Europe, they've been utilizing dogs for a long time. Um, I know that the British were using dogs in World War One, right, or World War Two. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, the, the use of dogs in war has been going on for, for, for many years, John. I mean, just looking at the, the history, I think it goes back to um, sort of ancient Egyptian times. I guess from the point of where where war began, you know, if you've got, if you've got a tool, you're going to use it. And, um, right. I know there were famous stories um, during world war one where the British army on the Western front would use dogs to carry either messages or take aid to wounded men. And one of the, one of the interesting stories actually, when in light of everything that's going on in the, with the Soviet union at the moment, or sorry, with Russia is, uh, they, interestingly, they, they were p- prepared to use them in world war two to strap explosives to like to their dogs to then go underneath the tanks where the, where bombs would then detonate. But the the problem with that was um, the Russians obviously in their, uh, I I guess how how do their sort of arrogance, they trained their dogs that well, that they, the dogs ignored the German panzers and uh, headed back for the the Soviet tanks. So, yeah. So essentially they kind of, you know, when you, they've obviously um, they've overlooked something. So yeah, so that well-trained, they then head back and just did exactly what they were taught in training. So, you know, the way that they use now is, is very different. But um, like we discussed earlier, you know, the, the where these dogs were given um, soldiers' numbers, ID, you know, ID tags and all that sort of stuff. It's a, you know, they've come an awful long way. I mean, the, the stuff that they do now is incredible. Yeah, and that's one of the points in the documentary that they really kind of hit home with is that these dogs are soldiers as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're warriors and these dogs are, you know, they have to jump through a lot of hoops to get to where they go. And they're known as multi-purpose canines. So, you know, they can sniff out bombs, they can uh, chase down bad guys. And, you know, they, they they have a lot of different roles and it's really important, the role that they play for the type of operations that are being run by these special operations units yeah. in this uh, modern war, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, and they're also the, that lifeline, you know, you've, we've seen, we've heard stories of late and, that, you know, I've, I didn't get to see the um, documentary because it's not in the UK yet, but I did watch the um, the trailer for it. And again, just the, the stuff that these dogs have done um, in since, well, in, in the sort of modern warfare is just unbelievable. One thing that Dave mentioned, uh, Dave, who I interviewed for this episode, you'll, you'll hear that in a second, is that in in the school for you know training to work with these dogs is they teach you not to turn the dog into a human and he said for him that was like impossible to do because the dogs not only served their purpose on the battlefield but they also served a purpose of helping guys out you know when they're back in the team house back yeah. in the barracks and well that's it's that normal um that giving you that sort of piece of normality because i know the lot of, a lot of the guys and even for you know, not these sort of the, the dogs that are working with spec ops, just, but generally with all soldiers, you know, they, yeah. when you see 
the canine that's attached, and it just gives you that sense of normality. So most people do, especially in patrol bases or platoon houses. They everyone wants to go over and sort of hang out with a dog or the dog, the dog handler. You know, it's because it's almost, almost gives you that sense of being home again. Obviously, yeah. until the canine takes your hand off, yeah. then you probably think, "Oh, that was maybe the wrong decision." <laughs> yeah, like uh, Deagle. <laughs> yeah, our favorite dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and that's you know another thing that he said was they, uh, the night that, so Dave's the name of Dave's dog was Pepper, and yeah. um, Pepper was killed in Iraq, and the the night before she was killed, one of his teammates was killed on an operation, and. So he said he didn't get much sleep that night, and and actually nobody, I'm probably most of them probably didn't get much sleep that night. And yeah. The next day before they went out, uh, Pepper was just kind of making her rounds in the team house and kind of cheering guys up again, and you can hear people laughing as they're you know interacting with her. So she yeah. had like a a role that went beyond just you know working on the battlefield, you know. Yeah, and that and that's you know sort of leads us into what we were discussing earlier, John. That you know we've. Um, even the way medicines move forward, you know, there's a there's a a, li- a little um, section on the end of T Triple C, um, the the normal section of it, and you, we have got a canine section. So you know, people they do take this really seriously, and and the, and the dog is part of the team. Hence, you know, the, 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 that that military number that they're given is not just paid lip service to. That's part of the team, and you know, the loss of a dog is is just as especially in a, clo- a close knit group like that. I'd imagine that's just you know, sort of a terrible thing to go through, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, when they um when they, when they were looking and, and you know, for anyone listening, when you when I play the conversation, Dave runs through that night in, in, yeah. in detail and they were doing everything they could to find it. You know, they had, you know, helicopter pilots were yeah. like literally flying sideways along the bank of the river to so they could look, you know, with their night vision or whatever and, and try and locate the dog and um you know they and and that's just like I said. That's one of the points that they hit home. It's just they, in their eyes, these dogs are, are soldiers, just like they are. Yeah, you know, they're, exactly. They're yeah, there, that's family. Yeah, facing the same danger that they are. So it's you know you you can't really um, quantify how valuable that is. Yeah, and then and also like we've um, we've had a few incidences, you know, unfortunately where we've lost um, like dogs and and their handlers in some way. I know this is going to sound pretty a strange thing to say, but you're kind of glad when they go together. Like if if they've got yeah. to go, it's almost no, like yeah, I, I understand that's what a, you mean. Yeah, because you know they they get really attached to yeah, the, God, to yeah. dogs. Yeah, and and um, it's it's I heartbreaking, imagine, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and and it's just you know it's a struggle for guys who were you know been through so much, through so much combat, survived so many you know dangerous situations yeah. and then have their partner um not make it back with them you know yeah exactly and it's just um yeah I'm, I'm i'm kind of half looking forward to the story this story that we're going to hear now but it's um it's still really well yeah you know that's the these, thing about these dog it. stories are not making me happy john <laughs> yeah right and, and i know it, because it's you know it's an honest look at it and yeah it is and dogs have Played an important role in in the. I think in, in all yeah in all of our lives it's like yeah. if you it's almost like um you know when you just you used to you sort of pet think you pet animals and then obviously you see them in this different role but they're still dogs have this certain honesty about their eyes you know and that even if you've got like quite an angry dog they still have this kind of 
and it's just you know it's, it's quite obsessing isn't it for even the sort of the yeah. hardest soul I imagine you know it's one of those things it's just um especially that documentary that I'm, I'm still waiting to see but even the trailer you just know right that's not going to be it's not going to be sort of um might need a little, little box of tissues oh definitely and and, and that's or a thing. towel yeah, all, all these guys in the in the documentary that that you know you see there and they tell their stories. Yeah. These are all guys with multiple combat deployments in a special operations unit. You know the, these guys aren't. Um, you know, there's nothing soft about these guys. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you can see how it affects them. And but what, one of the positives about this documentary is it's allowing them to tell their story and open up. Yeah, and that always has a. Um, kind of uh, catharsis type of uh, effect. Yeah, know, definitely. Yeah, to get these, to up. hear these, yeah. these guys' stories, it's, that's why it's extremely important that, you know, that they are, that people are able to share because I, I often find um, even like on the, on the podcast, you know, with us, with us just talking or the guys that we've spoken to, it's almost like um, you can, you can come up with things that you didn't even think that you'd start talking about. So, Right. In some ways, and I get, I get that sort of feel sometimes. Is that God? This, this potentially could be the first time they've spoken about something, and it's it's almost like easier when you're not you're not potentially sitting face to face with somebody because then you're sort of fidget, fidgeting around. But it's, you know, it is important to talk, so long as people aren't giving giving out things they don't need to give out. But do you, do you see my point? Is that you? It can only be a good thing that we we hear about these dogs without necessarily having to hear all of. Um, the, you know the essential SOPs that aren't open source, for instance. Right, but, and but they deserve their airtime. You know, they deserve. I want to hear about these dogs. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, obviously, there's an importance and an, a necessity for certain things to remain. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, not spoken about and everything, but at the same time, people want to know about what you know the soldiers and and, uh, yeah. and the warriors of their nation are doing and. And it, you know, it, it inspires the next generation. You know, um, yeah, it does. A, a lot of the guys that I talk to, you know, in the, you know, maybe in their thirties or, or older, who serve in, in some of these combat units, when they were kids, they read all the books that came out about the Vietnam yeah, War. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and a lot of those guys read all the books that came out about World War Two or the Korean War. You know, and it just yeah. it, it inspires the next generation, and I think um, it, it also gives you a clear picture of what to expect. So for that, you know, that 15 year old kid from North Carolina who wants to be a green beret and, you know, he, he wants to be a dog handler. Now he can get an honest look into what that's like. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, definitely. And it's the end. And I think that that's extremely important. This documentary is worth watching. Uh, they have a, um, a free month of HBO is up. So anyone can watch it for free for the next 30 days or just under 30 days. And uh, the full documentary is up on YouTube. And what I'll do is I'll put the link for it uh, on the podcast notes page for this episode. So, uh, you know, after you check out the podcast, if you want to look at the documentary, you can do that. Um, but like Santel said earlier, it's it's not available in the UK yet. Uh, I think they're working on that. So uh, for anyone in the States... You, you can check it out in, in, in its entirety for free. Now I will play the conversation that I had with Dave uh, from the War Dog documentary. Dave, what's going on, brother? Hey, John. Good evening. Good to talk to you. 
Jay, good to talk to you, man. Um, I know you guys, you've been doing like a bunch of media and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I guess radio is a bit different from actual podcasting uh, in, in terms of the schedules and the system that's run on radio. It's like more uh, kind of a, more of like a machine. Podcasting is a little more like free-flowing, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, right at that age. You know, I'm 47, like. I kind of got a grasp on technology, but not maybe like some others. So got it. All right, cool. So um, you spent uh, a number of years in the U.S. Army. Uh, there, By the time this goes up, the uh, the documentary is coming out on HBO. It's called War Dogs. It's uh, executive produced by uh, Channing Tatum. And it is basically a glimpse into what it's like as a, a special operations uh, dog handler, and more specifically, the Army Special Operations Command. Um, I, I had the opportunity to watch it last night, and it isn't, uh, it isn't like, everything in it isn't very glamorous. It's just kind of like a an honest picture, a snapshot of what it's like going into combat, you know, for multiple rotations with these special operations dogs who are um, like the, the units that they're deploying with, you know, the top 1% of uh, their group. So, uh, Dave, can we talk about what motivates you to join the military? And then can we go through some of your career in the Army? Yeah, I was born in the suburbs north of Detroit. So, um, it was, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of my friends joined the Army out of high school. I'd never even considered it. Uh, none of my family members had ever served. And so um, I just ended up sort of floundering. I'd gotten good grades in high school and been accepted to colleges. I didn't have money or means to go. So I ended up pretty close to homeless and living in the city of Detroit. And uh and living in my car pretty much. And somebody broke into it, my car one day and stole some speakers. And that was like, okay, enough. I need change. And I went into the recruiter and joined the army. No idea what I was doing or, or where to go. I didn't know there was such a thing as Rangers. Um, but the recruiter, um, asked me if I'd be willing to try it. And he told me a little about it. I said, sure. And I just found out, found that I, um, sort of took to it. I developed a, I don't know, a tolerance from pain, just uh, growing up in, in hardship, pretty poor. And that helped me to um, just get through it. And next thing I know, I was a ranger in 89 and just a couple months out of basic training, we were alerted and jumped into Panama, a combat jump back in 1989 into Panama. And that really opened my eyes. Um, you know, we took casualties and, and dished some out and um, it was just a mammoth experience at that point in my life um and then i just did three years and got out for, for 10 no plan here i just got out of the army and um ended up going back in after 9 11 and recently retired in 2013 so you spent a total of what uh 16 years? It, yeah it's about 16 years um and i medically retired with just you know myriad injuries and um, mostly just being blown up in TBI stuff. Um, nothing, nothing too cool to talk about. But uh, yeah, I retired about three years ago. Okay, so you you were first then uh, in the Ranger Battalion, uh, jumped into Panama, 
And when you yep. went back in, did you go back into the Ranger Battalion or did you go straight into uh, Special Missions? No, I did. I um, That's what I knew. And uh, um, I had also done that Black Brave Road March. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was in 2000. I was a student. Um, Eric Shinseki, the chief of staff of the Army at the time, had given the Black Beret to the entire Army. I got involved with that march. We walked from Fort Benning to D.C., um, about 700 miles and protested to Congress and made some headway and secured the tambourine for the Rangers. You know, that was a fun thing oh, to nice. do. Again, I was a civilian. What's that? No, I said night. That's, that's pretty nice. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that got me definitely road marching again. And uh, 9-11 was right after that. I was already in the process of trying to get back in. So um, it had been 10 years from 92 to and I ended up finally getting back in in 02. And uh, I got a waiver to not have to go back to basic training and um, straight so straight back to 1st Range Battalion. And that was kind of a rude awakening. Everything had changed. Technology, radios, you know. I went from carrying a M60 machine gun to uh, a sniper rifle and, you know, embedded radio instead of the, the big old stuff, Vietnam era stuff. So um, pretty steep learning curve there. That was so that was. 2002 and uh pretty much immediately went to afghanistan and then iraq just kicked off so i did a few rotations there with 175 tried out for the unit um for cag and made it my first time and i got there and just absolutely loved it loved the creativity that we're allowed to uh pursue there it was uh Perfect place for people who hate the army, as my friend says. Yeah, I've heard that before. That's that's kind of an interesting concept, you know. Okay, so now, you know, let's let's talk about the you know the military working dogs. Uh, did you go straight into becoming a dog handler when you were at the unit, or is that something you worked into later on? No, I was later, um, and. I had seen it uh, when I was with the Rangers in Iraq. They they didn't have dogs at that time, but we would go out and sort of support the unit. And I'd watch this dog just just working. It was the coolest thing in the world. Um, if nothing else, like just to have a dog with you, like it just helps, you know. But I saw him working and checking vehicles and everything. And um, so when I did get to the unit, um, I asked if I could do that and. Sure. You know, like it was still a pretty fledgling program. And um, it's actually where I met my wife. She came right after me. She was a vet tech in the Army. She just retired a couple of years ago for 26 years, but um, she was there for the last nine with me. And um, so she was there right from the beginning. And um, I asked for it and put it and um, Pepper right off the bat, and you, you'll see it right in the movie. Yeah, and you know, it's you know, like I said earlier, the documentary isn't just like kind of uh, you know, like a like a glamorous look at, at what it's like. It's more of a reality, and um, and sometimes that reality isn't pretty. As you know, war isn't pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like I like that you said that. That's that's accurate, and that's what we were going for. 
Yeah, and, and you can see it, you know, and, and you can see the handlers, and including yourself, you know, when people are going to watch this, that, uh, you know, it, it's painful to lose a, a dog in combat, you know, as as they are, you know, they become a part of your team, a part of your family, and they're, and they're soldiers just like the uh, guys to your left and your right. That's exactly it. And, uh, gosh, it'll be 12 years in a couple months. It'll be 12 years since I lost her. And, um, you know, the first few years I, I dreamed almost every night about looking down, you know, I had this view, satellite view looking down and she's going back and forth and I can't get to her. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, I, we struggle with relationships when we get out. I, I, I can only speak for myself, but we get out, we have all these things going on and, you know, we're trained to be these world-class problem solvers and we have the means to do it. And, and we get home and we just can't even, you know, like stay in a relationship. So, um, I ended up working to checking myself into the VA a couple of years ago and it was the best thing I ever did for myself. There are some great people there and I, um, just coincidentally at the same time, right before this, I was approached for this documentary, I was working with a therapist at the VA and, and telling this story because, you know, there's so much more to it. A friend of ours was killed the night before Pepper was. So, um, there's a picture of us together the night she was killed and we both just look completely sad because we were like, we just lost a teammate the night before and, you know, when that happens the next day, you, you try to go to sleep at some point, you, a, you after actions, review it and you talk about it and there's just no words. And then you sort of sleep, but not really. And then you get up and it's quiet and you know, you're going to have to work that night and you're just dreading it. But so I'd let Pepper kind of just go walk around the house and I'd hear her go into the next room and you know, I'd hear the guys, oh, hey, Pepper and Petner, and next thing you know, they're laughing a little bit, and then and then she goes to another room, and same thing. People are just, you know, coming to life again, and um, that's what I mean by she serves so much more of a purpose. Um, but the really odd thing is that I didn't teach her that or have to teach her that. I didn't make her good. She was willing to do all this. Like, when I the night she gave her life, I, you know, I'm giving her commands and I'm, I'm directing her, but she can choose any time. She, if she didn't want to do something, she wouldn't have done it. <laughs> and that's the real amazing part. That's why we consider them teammates because uh, they're willing to, to do what we do, which is pretty horrible at sometimes. Yeah. And I know, you know, what, what you guys were doing over in Iraq was, you know, pretty tough. It, it was a tough, tough fight uh especially with like all the the atmospherics of um you know things being blended with civilians being so close to the fighting at all times and you know it's just really a different type of war uh and compared to wars of the past that America has fought um so uh can can we talk about that night a little bit um you know where where pepper was killed Sure. It was February of 06. Um, and, uh, you know, we were in Baghdad, Iraq and, uh, it was, oh, it was just a horrible night, wet, rainy, um, you know, barely enough 
weather that we were able to fly, but we were. And we got woken up early that day. You know, we were working nights, so it's like you try to sleep till 5 p.m. But good luck with that. <laughs> well, we got woken up real early in the morning, like right after bed, and after you know our friend had just died the uh, that previous night, and you know for this big mission, like it's always a big mission, but this was this had lots of other. Uh, units involved 101st and Rangers, the unit, you know, some SF teams, I think. And it was just a lot of pieces to fit together. So lots of planning. Um, and then we finally get out that night. Um, pretty typical, real typical. I mean, we, Pepper and I got on Little Bird and squirter control. We take off and we're just hovering and uh, we're orbiting and pretty vanilla target um people are you know the assault force is doing their thing and and that's it so we fly home after about an hour of just watching overwatch right when we landed it was only a five minute flight we land back at the tarmac and immediately got word hey go back there you missed somebody <laughs> like somebody's was able to slip through the, the cordon and they're hiding so we saw some imagery. We saw where it was right on the bank of the Tigris River. We fly back and land pretty close to that. Uh, you know, and I'm with my my teammates, and um, so we have we get a quick plan and we just start to to move up. And we can't see anything. It's it's on the bank of a river, and it's it's hard to explain how thick it can be over there. We picture desert in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it it is mostly desert, but on the riverbanks, it's it's as thick as any jungle I've ever seen. What, and, just, just like the foliage or? Yeah, the, uh, just thickets of, and it's farm fields right up to the banks, and then they just slope down steep, and it's like untended nastiness. <laughs> and that's the reason this guy had this hiding spot there. Like, it was just near impossible to get to, and we tried. I mean, I actually slid down the hill once. I tried to walk. It was raining and muddy, and I slid down, and... You know, there's pistol rounds getting shot, so I scampered right back up. But we shot everything we had at this guy, rockets, machine gun, frag, and we just couldn't budge. And we, you know, we somebody, um, you know, that could see better than us is telling us we can see his heat signature is right there. He's right <laughs> 12 feet in front of you. He's right there. We're like, we believe what you're saying, man, but <laughs> we cannot get to him at all. So I sent Pepper once. She was gone a long time, like uh, 10 or 15 minutes. I heard a pop, which, you know, my heart sank. I'm like, oh, God, there it is. Um, so we're still trying to figure that out. And she kind of came back to me sort of moving slowly. So I took her behind some cover um, and checked her out. Um, you know, my wife had given me the classes as, as the vet tech on how to, you know, do field trauma medicine on a canine. It's very similar to humans, but um, a little different. So I'm checking her for bullet wound, nothing. She had just been, but she was soaking wet. So I I figured she had been down in the river with this guy, and um, they got in a little fight, and but she wasn't shot. And she totally came back to, you know, just got her energy back and like, okay, now she's back and drive. And she's like, I couldn't even get her to stay still to check her more. She just wanted to go get this guy that's what made her the dog she was, you know, she, she knows when she's up and when it's her thing. And, um, 
So I kept her with me. I didn't want to send her again. She had been all wet and she didn't particularly like to swim. Um, so we, we tried again. Um, you know, every idea we could come up with, like calling in air support or, or dropping a bomb or something. But, you know, the proximity of this village was right up to where we were and we couldn't, you know, we're not going to hurt non-combatants, of course. So um, there were just no other options. And so after hours of, of trying, I sent her again. She went to the edge of the bank and stopped and looked back at me. And um, just the weirdest thing for me, uh, because she, she didn't do that. Um, when she went on a bite, she went. and But she stopped. I mean, she had the drive. She wanted to go. She, and then she went and stopped and looked back at me. And I, for like two seconds, and then she went. She committed and went over the hill. And within less than a minute, you know, it gets quiet and then you're waiting for that scream and it got quiet and then a big commotion and the guy is, is out now. Finally, after all night of trying to get him out, he's out. We see him, my buddy shoots him and kills him. We see him floating down the river, but we couldn't find pepper. Um, so we started to look and look and look and look, um, and we couldn't find her. And then after, After, can you hear, still hear me, John? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, after some time, uh, somebody came over the radio and said, Hey, we see her. We see her strobe. So I'm like, Oh, thank God. It was, it was probably half an hour. And um, so they go down there and it was just her strobe light, which had come off, which had been, you know, very securely mounted onto her vest, meaning um, she had been in a serious struggle and it was, it was a hundred meters from, you know, where the guy had been. So they had gotten into it. Um, so we kept looking, I got into a, a helo at one point and, you know, awesome pilot. He's just crabbing left, you know, up and down the river, like sideways, um, helping me look for, her. and, uh, when we had flown in, I remember seeing these huge chunks of metal pieces of Humvee, um, from like that day or the day prior where they had just killed a few Americans. I mean, it was just a really bad village in South Baghdad. Um, so the sun was starting to come up and, uh, I just got that sick feeling like, Oh God, we can't exfil without her. You know, like we're not, that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and, um, it did happen. My commander said we, we have to leave and, um, just, we didn't have the right uh, things in place to to hold out in that situation, and that's why he's the commander. He knows all that I didn't know, um, so we had to move to a to a field and get ready to exfil. And when I heard those helos come in, I um, it occurred to me that I, I I'm going to have to actually leave here without my best friend. I can't believe this, and just you know, last time I cried since. A week ago, it was 12 years ago, it just it destroyed me at the time. And then, um, you know, we got back and I pretty much shut down emotionally um, after that. And uh, it's it's been 12 years of recovery for me. So for me, the part like now that, that 
for me, facing the fear now, just like facing the fear, joining the army, jumping into Panama, whatever. Um, like it was always that, that tangible fear, but now it's like fear of talking about it or fear of exposing myself and being vulnerable. That's the unpleasant part now, but I do it because, um, it's been done for me. I have Vietnam Ranger friends and mentors who have done it for me and it made all the difference. So I do yeah. that as a service. And yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's a different kind of like courage to open, open up and, and talk about like what, you know, what's happening inside your head and, and really putting it out there for people to, to, to hear it, you know? Um, but yeah. you know, like you said, though, hearing it from the, the, the guys who came before you, you know, the Vietnam guys, right. Uh, you know, that kind of thing will then kind of inspire you to, to talk about these things. And then when other guys, you know, younger guys hear you talk about it, it'll inspire them to talk about it. And it's kind of like a, a domino effect of, um, yep. you know, like this therapeutic type of behavior. Um, ha have you felt like since talking about it and, and, um, doing the documentary has it made you feel any better or absolutely i i mean i was uh after the the premiere and i'll talk about this in a second but the day after we a friend of mine is work he's a consulting producer on a tv show for cbs and he invited us out to the set i went out laura and i went out and one of the actors was aj buckley he's on the show seal team he mm. and he was at the premiere as well I was talking to him and um, I I started feeling emotion and, and telling stories and like just I felt okay about it. Like and I got choked up for the first time in in so long and because I realized that I'm getting my life back, you know? Yeah. Not only are there twenty between twenty and twenty two veteran suicides a day, there's countless people just walking through as zombies because, you know, they don't have the means to tell their stories. Well, they can, you know, we've got to find a way we've got to help, um, enable that process. I don't know how, but, um, we got to keep trying. Yeah. So for me, it's gosh, this whole process, um, of, of just slowly, you know, step at a time, opening up and now talking about it. And, you know, cause I, <laughs> I'm still, you know, I've been to nine combat rotations. I'm still scared of life. I just, that's the truth. And I'm not afraid to say that. That's the smallest things can just scare the, scare me to death. And when I face them though, they just, they go away. And right. so now that's talking about this, but I'm willing to do it because it helps me get better. Um, and then hopefully it'll pass it on. Yeah, I think it does. And I think, um, you know, from doing previous episodes, like I've had all type of guys on here, uh, army special ops, um, you know, army infantry. And, and when people are opening up and telling their stories, I, you know, I, I've gotten so much feedback from other veterans who are going through, you know, perhaps going through a similar struggle. And they're like, you don't know how much it helped me to hear that, you know, cause now it gives them a kind of a perspective and a, a way to, to move forward in a sense, you know? Yep, that's it. That's where it's at. <laughs> Appreciate what you do, John. Thank you. No, thank you. No worries. Um, okay, so Kim, so was Pepper your only uh, your only dog? She was. I only uh, did it for two years. That was kind of the 
um, idea going in up front. Like I wanted to do that and then go back to being an assaulter. Um, and she died right at the end of that two years, but she was the only dog I handled. Okay. Okay. And would you be okay with like sharing maybe another story with Pepper on where you guys went out or? Sure. Yeah. Um, I love talking about her. She was incredible. (laughs) Um, a good one is her first bite. Um, you know, these dogs, we select them, we train them and everything's going great. You don't know. It's kind of like a person. You don't know how they're going to do, um, until bullets start flying or until, you know, things get crazy. Everybody can respond differently. Same with the dog. You don't know until they get their first real bite because you can't train that, um, how they're going to do. Some dogs spit it out and they're like, whoa, that's different, I don't, you know, compared to the sleeve that we train with. So it's, she didn't have a bite for, you know, the longest time on our first rotation and a real bite. And uh, we're training, we're going out and they get frustrated just like us. And um, one night we just had some detainees and we're bringing them back in for questioning. And this guy, I'm walking him off the helo and most dogs, you know, any dog that, that had a bite couldn't be around t- detainees because they're going to just eat them. If they're not muzzled, Pepper hadn't had a bite, so she didn't know. Well, this guy, I'm, I'm like, you know, rotor blades are spinning. It's loud and crazy, and I'm walking him back, and he starts, like, resisting. He was actually pretty smart um, or trained, but he's resisting me. He's pushing back into me, and he's blindfolded and cuffed, but he's, like, resisting me. And I'm like, are you serious? So I kind of, like, clap him on the back, like, cut it out, and he, like, lurches back at me to – to push into me and pepper walked around him from the front and and by the way like all this time she hadn't had a bite people were starting to say like oh i don't know if this dog's any good she's she's wimpy she's so small you know she's cool we love her but i don't know if she'll actually bite yeah so this guy like attacks me and she walked around him looked at him looked at me and just like bit him right in the crotch <laughs> like a snap bite and he <laughs> not only did he stop resisting he you know, he screamed and it was just a snap bite. She let go and, but the whole team cheered. They're like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she didn't hurt the guy. Um, it's just, she was learning her job. And then after that it was game on and there was op- plenty of opportunities for her to get bites. But, uh, that's one of my favorite stories. So, so the dogs are really very similar to, uh, like teammates and in, in, in several ways, as we said before, but just in terms of like getting tested, you know, in, in, the in the kind of crucible of, of, of a deployment, you know, the going out on a mission, like, um, so can we talk, like, were you a part of the, the entire process of like the dogs being selected or, or did you just kind of get pepper and, and that was, and then went out on operations? I just got her. Um, the trainers do that and they're good at that. And they usually go to Europe to get the dogs and, and train them and it takes years to get a good seasoned dog um and that's how i got pepper so i don't um, take credit for that but we did she had been handled by other people and they didn't just really hit it off like um it's hard to explain but i i looked at her and you know everybody wants these big uh aggressive stripping her teeth male dogs and i just saw this little female and i was like what's the story with her and uh Everybody's like, ah, she's just Pepper. She's cool to have around. But um, she was a complete beast of fury. You know, once she got her first bite and got going, um, 
but she did that because of our relationship. And I developed that, um, by going out and just, just hanging out with her on Saturday when, when nobody was working, I would just go in and, just, and Sunday and feed her and, uh, just hang out with her and just let her relax. You know, we'd sit there and just do nothing right. and develop a bond. And, you know, people used to make fun of me. We'd fly over, put the dogs in the kennels and I put a poncho liner in, in hers. <laughs> it gets cold on those planes. And, uh, you know, everybody would laugh at me and I'd say, well, hey, man, if love and pepper's wrong, I don't want to be right. And just <laughs> try to just laugh at myself and her. And we were tight, you know, and um, and then, you know, by that time when she did give her life for her pack, man, <laughs> people were destroyed. They still know her. The pilots were like wrecked. You know, I would talk to these guys years later. They're like, oh, my God, you were her handler. Brother, I searched for her all night and and let me tell you we tried to go back and i'm like i know me too like you know she earned her way i mean in like full membership in the in the unit so so now as far as the capability of the dog itself um you know you like you see uh with like police departments you know they'll have like bomb sniffing dogs and uh, you know, dogs that can sniff out a, a suspect. These special operations dogs, they have like a, a multitude of um, these qualities right, or, or, or skill sets. Yeah, um, multi-purpose canine is, I think, the term they use now. Okay. Um, and, and Pepper had detection capabilities. She just didn't like it. <laughs> so um, I think it was just boring to her. So I thought that was cool. You know, she wanted to hunt and assault. So... Um, once she figured it out and we clicked as a team, that's what she did. And she was good at it. But yeah, there's, there's dual purpose, um, bomb sniffers and, and bite dogs and the sky's the limit. I mean, like we're still learning things that they can do. Right. And, and, you know, by, by the point that, you know, the, the trainers decide this dog is good to go. Are you already past the point where you're like, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're in like a shoot house and, you know, you're shooting around the doors. Cause I know I'm sure that amps them up, uh, being around gunfire and, and small spaces, stuff like that. Yeah, it does. And that's a good point. We were just at the premiere and there's a press line. Like I didn't, I couldn't believe how Hollywood it was. I didn't expect that for a documentary, but there's a press line and there's flashes going off and like, a one of the dogs in the documentary was there, Trent her handler had her there she has three legs she's missing one and um all these flashes are going off and she starts she's a super gentle retired dog you know lay on her back and let you rub her belly but all the flashes going off i'm like geez if somebody makes a bang like that's a, there's her flashbang cue to go in and bite someone so <laughs> i'm like maybe chill on the pictures a bit but um pepper yeah she was everything was good that's a good question and we uh so we went to do some helo training, right, you know, and they land and she just did not want to get on a helicopter. And she was 53 pounds, but, you know, if she didn't want to do something, she wasn't going to do it. So I was like, oh, my God, I, it was bad. And my trainer just said, well, let's stop everything, stop the helos. We, then we, we boarded, you know, without the engines running. And then, and then we turned on, you know, the, the power unit slowly and played with her inside the helo and then alone and in and out with her toys and made it a game. 
and uh, just slowly built everything back up, and then she was good to go. Right, so it's kind of just like quickly adapts to it, and and yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but they let you know too, and they're you know we don't ever. It's not. They're like people. They're not gonna, you know, if you've ever been a manager or tried to get somebody to do something, and you tell them your kids, you've got to sort of figure out how to what their motivations are, and you know, and dogs are the same. They don't just do it because you tell them like they'll just quit and uh right. dogs they, some dogs get fired like if they're not uh if they don't want to do it then okay um i'm sure there's a police department out there for you somewhere but um that's right. how it works. And is that is that how it usually goes like when a dog they feel like maybe isn't cut out to continue to do that work at that level then they'll just go into a pd somewhere that happens a lot yeah and it's a it's a back and forth like uh they help us too um they have great trainers. Like that's where we got a lot of our trainers from across the country. And, um, you know, it's a relationship with same with agencies, uh, federal agencies. We work with them and, um, it's, uh, yep. And, uh, so how long was the, the, so let's talk about the, uh, the filming itself for the documentary. Um, was it a long process or, well, the whole thing took three years to do. The filming oh, wow. was, yeah, it was quick and easy, um, you know, for us. And I, I'm sure for the other two guys as well, they just pretty much came out. Um, Deborah Scranton was the director. Brett Rodriguez is really the guy. Um, he he was in a regular infantry unit, um, did four years, deployed. You know, I really give him credit because he um, he's the guy that made it happen. He's buddies with Channing Tatum and um he just developed these relationships and and earned our trust and so they came out it started three years ago and um once we talked and um pretty much developed a two-way a two-way trust um the filming process was pretty easy it was just a couple days at the beginning of interviews and then I gave them all my pictures and footage for them to sort through, which Kevin Filippini, the editor spent like three years, <laughs> literally, you know, putting all that together. But, uh, and then they came out at the end and, and filmed us again. Um, so it was, for me, it was pretty painless, but at the premiere, when I met all these people, I mean, there's a composer like this guy, and I didn't even know this. He wrote, he called it Pepper's theme, the music, um, oh, wow. Yeah, and it's really cool music. It, it works for the movie, and uh, just they got all these professionals, and I had no idea how many people were involved, but they were so devoted and interested, and that's been the biggest thing. I'm still taking it in. I cannot believe how much these people put in of their time and effort and money, and it's uh, I'm really, really, I have hope for the first time in a long time seeing this because. I just didn't expect it, and I'm so thankful. Right, it's like you, you know, you watch a, you watch something on TV, you know, a thirty minute show or whatever, or even a, you know, two hour movie, and it's just that length of time that you watch it. But there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes, and uh, you know, so many people who are who specialize in one specific thing that's required to make it all work. And yeah. Um, so, what did you think about the the finished product? 
I really loved it. I, and, and I'm pretty self-critical. So I, um, you know, I, I'm surprised that I'm saying that, um, it's just an effective, like you said, not glamorous. We, we were specifically trying to just show some of the, the nitty gritty and, and, uh, expose what it really feels like so i'm glad you said that um i'm really happy with it it was one of the weirdest things i've ever done to sit in a movie theater with channing tatum and his wife jenna right behind me and my wife and watch this movie um you know and all these other folks it was it was surreal but um i like it um i'm proud of myself for having the courage to just open up and uh you know, I just wish every veteran and, and, and person for that matter, police officer, everybody has a story like this. It's not, you know, I, I wish, um, everybody could experience this. Um, it's, it's, it's brought me, given me my life back. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that's really what it's about. And, um, you know, I, I hope the other handlers had a similar experience, um, you know, they did. when you keep these things bottled up and uh, and like you said, you guys were like world class problem solvers. So then when you get back and you can't figure out something that's happening within yourself, it kind of really throws you off. Yeah, you get back from your last rotation and and there was nothing, you know, I'm over there speaking Arabic or French and, and driving a car and reading a map navigating doing all this at the same time like there's no limit not i'm not patting myself on the back i'm just saying then i get home and i'm in family court and i'm told by a judge in moore county north carolina you don't need to wear that uniform in my courtroom oh wow and i'm baffled i'm like oh sir well first of all these are the nicest clothes i have and secondly (laughs) you know like we do that thinking that um it'll help but you know, and then just, that's a whole nother story I won't get into, but you know, we, uh, we just cannot cope back here very often. And, uh, some can, and that's great. I was kind of in the middle. I could sort of keep it going, but it just didn't make sense. And now that I'm, for me, it's seeing people like Channing Tatum or Reed Carolyn, the other, um, executive producer, seeing them listen and ask us questions and, and truly care. And, uh, that's, I just didn't expect it. Not that it's not about Hollywood. It's not about who they are or, or, or star facts or anything like that. It's just, they didn't have to do that. They're not making much money on this. It's, they did it because they're genuinely interested in like they're saying they're putting their money where their mouth is pretty much. And, right. uh, that just gives me hope. Right. So you, you medically retired uh, out of the army and, and that was from, from getting banged up a couple of times. Yeah. Again, no, no really cool stories there. Just, just, uh, repeated, um, close proximity to explosions and, um, seven back surgeries, you know, typical. I was actually pretty less banged up than most guys, but I just, uh, having that 10 year break in service, you know, and getting into my late forties, it was like, man, I, I don't want to look like Brett Favre out there. Um, <laughs> there's lots of younger, faster, smarter studs that can fill my shoes. Let me get out of the way, and so I did, and it was the right decision. Okay. Um, 
So can can we just talk about like mindset really quickly? I know the um, you know going on selection for that unit is is one of the hardest things to do in in, in any military in the world. Um, can we just talk about some of the mindset that's required to continue to push and and kind of overcome those obstacles? Sure, and that's. That's, gosh, one of the most deepest questions, I think. Um, I'm trying to think back. Um, I think it, well, I know, I know that the guys, you know, right from the get-go, the high school blowhards, for lack of a better term, or the big tough guys at the, the recruiting station just very typically aren't the ones to make it through those gates. Um and I don't know why, but I just know that I, as I got into, you know, my first, uh, RIP Ranger indoctrination program in 89, um, you know, I, I had no intentions of going in the army. I didn't like to fight. I didn't like anything like that, but, but I liked the satisfaction of finishing a 12 mile road march when people were just quitting. Um, like I got stronger as, as they got weaker. And, uh, so you know, like they say, it's it's mental. And you watch the old kung fu movies, and they talk about being in the heart. That's all true. It it couldn't be more true. It's in the heart and in the head. Everything else can be taught. Um, so, but for me, it's you know, it's spiritual. It's like I, uh, um, I just I believe in God, and uh, this is all my quest to seek and serve my God. And um, he's blessed me with that. Like, that's how I made selection was, um, realize you don't have a chance up front. Like you're and, and every mission for that matter, realize you're, you're already dead. Just go out there and, and play the game anyways, stay in the fight always. And, and that continues in life. Um, like in the courts, I'm, you know, just, it looks like you're completely finished, but, but never give up. Um, you know, my own brother, uh, younger brother hung himself five years ago. Um, he wasn't military, but, uh, he just, he, uh, yeah, I mean, people do that and it's certainly been on my mind before. Um, so I guess the mindset for me is, um, I just always give myself a, if this fails, I'll just go to Australia. Like, uh, I don't know, but you know, they're going to ask me to walk hundreds of miles in the mountains. I'll go do my best. I get to be alone and, uh, and it was super, super hard, but you know, beyond rewarding. Yeah. And you know, the, the kind of spirituality part of it, that's something that I noticed is, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, just talking to different guys, uh, you know, talking to guys from that unit, is that something that's common where, where guys kind of have that spirituality to help keep them grounded? I think about like any other sector of life, I had thought the opposite, um, that it wasn't just because there, there was a mystique and about them, um, us, <laughs> but I got there and I think it was about like, like any sector, you know, as far as people who are openly talk about their faith, people who, um, are, but don't like to talk about it. And then those who wish you wouldn't talk about it like anywhere else. So, um, we figured out and to each his own, like it's no, um, no judgment or no, there's no sort of mass. This is what we are. Um, 
And by the way, that's why I don't just talk about Delta Force right off the bat in the movie. I don't say it all in the movie because I, I don't want that to be, um, I want it to be about the story. And, you know, it says that on my discharge papers, Delta, and, and I'm very proud of that. But um, that's not, all the people there are what make the unit. It's not the unit that made me. Right. Right. Okay. So in the, in the opening, uh, scene of the documentary, uh, you, you open up this box containing items that, that were related to Pepper or her items. Um, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you said something along the lines of this was the first time that you'd gone through that. Um, well, is that correct? That it was the first time you opened it? It was. And when I packaged it all up, it was, I think back now, you know, it was so many years ago. I, it's almost like I knew what I was doing. I wanted to put it away in in the box, and I wanted to, but not forget it. You know, I have journals too. I have journal entries of every mission I've done, and it's hundreds and hundreds. It's all put away because I know there there'll be a time to talk about it. Back then, it wasn't, and now it is. So out it came, and um, you know, even looking at that movie. Now, that was three years ago when I was taking those things out and and I was affected, but not if I did it now, it would be um, different. You know, the last three years have been huge. Um, right. So the, back to the mind, which gets back to the mindset of how do I go to selection? It's it's facing whatever fear is in front of me every day um, for, with selection. It was the fear of success. Oh, my God, what if I get selected? What do I do then? Um, of course, fear of failure, but fear of success can be just as big. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point to bring up. And I've had so many conversations about mindset and things like that. And that's the first time I've heard it brought up. And I I think that's very interesting to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a real thing. And I, part of the reason I joined the army too, back to the beginning is, uh, I thought that if I, we weren't at war at the time, but I, I, I said, if my country ever goes to war, I want to be there and I want to experience it because um, I thought back then naively at 18 that if I could face war, then I wouldn't be afraid of anything else. Like to me, that was the ultimate fear. And so I did that ad nauseum <laughs> and then I get out and I'm afraid to get on the dance floor still, you know, <laughs> like because I always have been and I hadn't yet faced that fear. So big lesson for me there in life about fear doesn't care who I am or that I was in the unit or the Rangers. They, uh, fear wants me afraid or dead and, um, it wants its way. But when I face it, it just dissolves. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I hope people listening could, uh, take some lessons from that, especially the younger guys looking into, you know, getting into special ops or, um, combat arms, um, so, so let's talk about the uh, the foundation. Uh, I know that in the movie you see flashes of it. Um, I believe it's towards the end uh, with like the the statue and everything. Can we talk about that? Sure, that's uh, a thing my my wife started, and and Chuck Yeary, he's the current president, unit member. Uh, he's an amputee, and um, <clears throat> they uh, raised money. They they put the statue in there that you see, and. Uh, Every Memorial Day, I've spoken there. Laura's spoken there. This Memorial Day, we're going to have uh, Brett Rodriguez, the producer of this documentary, is going to speak. He just agreed to. Um, 
who knows, maybe Channing Tatum will come out. Uh, nice. It's in Fayetteville. And um, we're going to have a viewing of the documentary as well at the um, museum. They have a theater there. So um, they're in phase three, I believe, um, which is they want to take care of the handlers, too. Um, you know, of course, they do bricks and all that for the dogs. And um, this is all soft and it includes the Brits and the Aussies. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. And we uh, they'll do a brick or a, a drawing like I had. Um, they raise this money and then they have an artist and she did a charcoal sketch of pepper for me. It's, awesome. it's one of the, my favorite possessions. And it's a great foundation, soft canine memorial on Facebook. Okay, and do you guys have a website as well? Uh, she does. Um, I think you can get there from from the Facebook page. Okay. Oh, you know what? When um when we ha- when we get off, just uh like send me all the links and everything, and I'll I'll post it up on my website and all that, and people can okay. access yeah access there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. So you guys include some some like Australian soft guys. I um I, I had a uh, recently a. Uh, former Australian SAS guy who was a dog handler. I, I guess he did a, a bunch of things in the, in that regiment, but he was a dog handler at one point. Um, and he was also a Victoria Cross recipient. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, a guy by the name of Mark Donaldson. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but... Um, I haven't, but my wife probably has. Okay, cool, yeah. Oh, so, he, he was on the show with you? Yeah, he, he's been on the podcast before, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right on, yeah, it's... uh. Wow, it's uh, it takes a team, you know, <laughs> and and we learn from each other. Like, yeah, those Australian SAS guys are awesome. They're hilarious. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, cool. So, Dave, it was it was great talking to you. You know, I really appreciate you taking out the time to do this. Um, you know, I watching the documentary was a little emotional for me. I know, um, you know, people are gonna watch it, and it's just really gonna be an eye opener especially for people who really have no kind of understanding or, Mm. or uh, kind of accurate thoughts on what that's like, you know? That's good to hear. Uh, I appreciate it, John. You sound like a tough New Yorker. So I appreciate you saying you got (laughs) emotional. (laughs) That means a lot to me. Um, That means we did our job and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. All right, man. Thank you. And and, uh, thank you for your service as well. Right on. Appreciate it. Take care. You guys have to watch this documentary. It's really incredible. What I'm going to do is HBO has a free month's uh, worth of subscription, and the full documentary is available on YouTube. I'm going to post a link to it on the podcast notes on my website, www.globalrecon.net. You go there, click on the podcast tab. You'll see the episode at the top, episode 100. The link will be there, or you can just go to YouTube and search War Dog Documentary. It'll show up. Again, absolute must-watch. Very raw, very emotional, and it, it just gives you an understanding of what these brave men and their dog handlers are going through uh, in combat. So with that, we'll close out this podcast. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram account is IG Recon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. Chantel Taylor, former British Army combat medic, co-host of the podcast. Her Instagram is mission underscore critical. Her Facebook account is Battle Worn, the memoirs of a combat medic in Afghanistan. Check her out. 
you know, like I said earlier, leave us a review, leave us a rating on iTunes or Apple podcast. And that way we know that you guys enjoy what we're doing and we'll continue to bring you content week after week. We have some really good people uh, lined up for interviews for the next couple of weeks. We know you guys are going to enjoy it. So with that, I just want to thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in a couple of days. Peace. Peace.